Welcome back to the Der Show. Before we begin our show today, uh, I want to give you a preview of tomorrow's very, very special show. A lot of people have asked about all the stuff on my walls, the Einstein picture, the baseballs, and uh, I collect a lot of historical material. And tomorrow we're going to do a tour, not only of this office, but of the uh, other parts of the house which have really, really important and interesting historical documents, including a and a very early copy of the Declaration of Independence, one of the things that I'll show you is this handwritten four-page brief, a three-page brief by Abraham Lincoln, written himself by hand, signed Lincoln uh, uh, four times when he was a 40-something-year-old a uh, lawyer, uh, and more and more and more. And so uh, come in tomorrow and stay tuned and, and watch me as I go around and show you all the things that that surround me in my daily life and that those of you who watch my show see in, in the background. Uh, today I want to talk about the uh, terrible shooting uh, in Brooklyn, in New York uh, City. It hits me personally because I used to take that very train, uh, subway, to high school every day. I went to high school uh, three trains away from me. I went to a yeshiva high school, a special high school. My parents wanted me to go and it was quite far away in the in the spring and fall I biked there but uh, on rainy days or in the winter I had to take three trains to get there and um, one of the stops was the 36th Street uh, station where this uh, horrible horrible shooting occurred and so I immediately put myself in the situation where I could have been on that train yeah it was a long long time ago it was what um, I guess it started, I uh, went started high school 70 years ago, um, and I went to high school for the succeeding uh, four years. My high school was uh, four blocks from Ebbets Field, and so I saw a lot of Brooklyn Dodger games. I saw Jackie Robinson, the baseballs in back of me. Some of them are signed by old Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, in 1955, the Brooklyn Dodgers won uh, the World Series, you will see tomorrow the ring that uh, was given to the players for winning the World uh, Series. Uh, Don Zimmer's ring was uh, auctioned off not so long ago, and I bought it, so I own a 1955 Brooklyn Dodger World Series ring as well as a 1947 Brooklyn Dodger National League Championship ring the year that Jackie Robinson broke the color bar and broke into baseball. All right, that's uh, that's uh, tomorrow again. Uh, today, the shooting in, in, in New York. But the shooting in New York, you know, raises the question of what can be done to stop gun violence uh, without violating the Bill of Rights. After all, the Second Amendment is in the Bill of Rights. And uh, as I've said before, if I had been uh, an American citizen in um, 1793, I would have voted against including the Second Amendment in the Bill of Rights. I would have voted enthusiastically for the First Amendment, enthusiastically for the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Amendments. Third Amendment, I don't even understand, you know, quartering troops should not be permitted. But I would have voted against the Second Amendment. Um, I don't think that uh, the right to bear arms belongs in a constitution. It's not in other constitutions. Uh, Some countries have it legislatively uh, permissible. Um, Other countries ban certain kinds of guns and allow other kinds of guns and different rules. But it seems to me that if I were framing the Bill of Rights, I would say that 
uh, Wyoming uh, has the right to have a different policy toward gun ownership than New York City. Uh, that in New York City, owning a gun is, um, uh, is quite dangerous and allowing guns to be circulated. Now we have these new things called ghost guns. You can go online. I don't want anybody to do it. You can go online, apparently, and buy a kit where you can make a gun that can be used to kill people without any registration, without any serial number, and there is now legislation uh, pending to see whether or not that can be Control, but what I want to do today is really have uh, an intellectual focus on what the Second Amendment means and how it should be uh, interpreted. Again, I want to do it in a non-partisan way. Um, most people I know either are in favor of abolishing the Second Amendment, they don't believe in it at all, or think the Second Amendment is even more important than the First Amendment, as some people have said. Uh, my views are that I don't want to amend it. I don't believe in amending the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is a whole. You take the whole thing or you leave it. If you start tinkering with the Second Amendment, people will start tinkering with the First and the Fifth. So for me, it's like Roe versus Wade. I didn't approve of it when it was originally decided, but I don't want to amend it. So I wouldn't have approved of the Second Amendment when it was first ratified, but I don't want to change it. I don't want to... Uh, amend it. I don't want to change the, the Bill of Rights. So, so, so let's read what the Second Amendment actually says. And, you know, for the first um, 200 years of America's existence, uh, the First Amendment was not, the Second Amendment was not interpreted to give an individual right to own guns. Uh, it was a collective right given to the states for the militia. Uh, so let me, let me read it. And it's only been since the Heller case, which is you know, not a long time ago that the right to bear arms has been seen to be an individual right for hunting and for self-protection, and we'll see what exactly that means. But let me read, it's a very short amendment. A well-regulated militia, just remember the words, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A little bit of historical background. So uh, Thomas Jefferson didn't believe that the United States should have a standing army. Hamilton did. Um, and the country was divided. Um, obviously, there were some who thought only state militias uh, should exist, but uh, no standing army, certainly no standing army, for anything to do in the United States. Maybe you need a standing army to fight against, you know, foreign invaders, although Washington, of course, it is an orgular asset. Let's not get involved in Europe and any foreign countries. We have you know, two oceans keeping us separate. Let's, let's, let's keep it uh, that way. But there was uh, obviously a need to have state militias. And what were state militias? They were not usually standing armies. They were ordinary citizens think Lexington and Concord, uh, farmers, uh, the bridge, you know, remember all the poems and all the, the, the laudatory songs about it, um, ordinary citizens, and uh, the militia would have a magazine, which is an area in which the guns were kept, and when the militia was called out, usually by the governor or by the legislature, the ordinary citizen, the farmer, the craftsman, the, the lawyer, 
could go pick up his gun from the magazine and, and have it. But he could also have it at home, for, for obviously, for two reasons. First of all, a lot of people ate what they killed. Uh, a lot of people lived off what they shot. Hunting was an important part of the early American experience. And in 1793, it was still important in many parts of the country, less important in New York and Boston, perhaps, than in uh, the wilds of uh, South Carolina, or uh, South Carolina wasn't so wild, but Tennessee, uh, or other places like that. But also the right of self-defense, and defense against marauders. Remember, too, that there were attacks by Native Americans and attacks against Native Americans. I don't want to get into the whole issue of who was right, who was wrong. Uh, Andrew Jackson, the, 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 the Trail of Tears, all of that. But the reality is that if you lived in western Massachusetts, um, you might have to protect yourself against a raid by a small number of uh, Indians, certainly if you lived in, in, in Tennessee or, or in other parts of what was then regarded as the West of the United States, the Cherokee Indians and other Native American groups would occasionally attack. And so hunting, self-defense against intruders, and personal self-defense. You know, a man in the neighborhood who has a grudge against you, wants to kill you, you have a right to defend yourself. But the Constitution provides, as I said, a well-regulated militia. So First of all, the Second Amendment gets a D for draftsmanship. It's just not drafted well. Um, it, it didn't need to have a preliminary clause. It could simply have said, um, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That would have been clearer. But it has a clause in the beginning explaining why that right is essential, um, and it is because you need a well-regulated Militia. Every state needs a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the state. So the question has been debated for many, many years and was resolved on one way in the Heller uh, case and, and other cases since, that a well-regulated militia does not limit the right that comes after the comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So People who support widespread ownership of guns and limitations on the right of the state or the federal government to limit guns uh, focus on the second half of the amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Those like me who want to see some limitations on the right to bear arms consistent with reasonable gun control, we tend to focus on the on the first half, and uh, it's one of these on the one hand. On the other hand, um, there's no indication who is correct. Uh, in the Heller case, uh, you had long, long opinions by the majority of the dissent, each reading the history their own way and each coming to the conclusion they wanted to come to. And the historical record, in my mind, does support some degree of gun control, but the majority uh, read the record uh, more favorably to gun ownership than I think history warrants or that I would have read it. But look, the law is the law, and that's the law, and it's not going to be changed, certainly not in the immediate future. In fact, the vote for Heller, which was very close when it was decided, would be less close uh, by today's um, uh, majority in the Supreme Court. 
So what does the word well-regulated mean? Well, my interpretation is that the word well-regulated um, modifies the amendment and that the amendment suggests that guns, the right to own and possess and bear arms, uh, is subject to being well-regulated the way a militia is subject to being well-regulated. Words are not put in the Constitution for for no reason at all. It's interesting, the First Amendment doesn't have a clause like that. First Amendment could easily have said the right of the people to express views and to be free to uh, practice or not practice religion is essential to democracy, so therefore Congress shall make no law abridging, etc. It could have done that, it didn't do that. It stated, it stated the right in, in absolute terms, whereas the Second Amendment, as I said, conditions it or prefaces it by reference to a well-regulated um, militia. I think at the very least, well-regulated means that every state has the right to, to regulate. By the way, there's another way of interpreting the, the Bill of Rights, and that's been rejected by the courts, and, 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 and for good reasons. And since the 14th Amendment was enacted, the Supreme Court has incorporated most of, not all, but most of the Bill of Rights um, and apply them not only to the federal government, but to the states. Remember that the Bill of Rights begins with a very interesting word that people often forget, Congress. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And at the time, by the way, that those words were written, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, several states had established religions. Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts had an established religion. Uh, Virginia had an established religion. It changed its established religion. It started uh, as an, an Anglican state, but when we fought a revolution against England, we rejected Anglicanism. But, uh, you know, the basically Protestantism was the established religion of, of the state. So one could possibly read this as saying Congress shall pass no law abridging the right of the people to bear arms, but the states may. But that's not the way it's been interpreted. So in subsequent decisions, the courts have now held that the Second Amendment restricts the right of the states. But does it take it away completely? Of course not. What does bear arms mean? Uh, you can interpret it the way it was used at the time of the framing of the Second Amendment. Bear arms means basically to carry a a rifle that uh, fires one or, or two shots. Does it cover uh, an automatic or semi-automatic weapon? Does it cover a submachine gun? Does it cover, um, uh, obviously, not a nuclear weapon? Um, arms, what does arms mean? Uh, and is arms modified by keep and bear? Uh, you can keep a nuclear weapon. You can have a small nuclear weapon in your basement, but you really can't bear it. Uh, bearing arms really means to to carry arms. Uh, and it doesn't say to keep or bear arms, it says to keep and bear arms. So at least one interpretation is that the Second Amendment only applies to arms that can be born, uh, carried. Um, but of course today, um, many lethal weapons of the kinds used in school killings and other mass murders that have killed, you know, thousands of people. Uh, submachine guns and uh, automatic weapons and semi-automatic weapons can be can be carried. Look, rocket launchers can be carried. Do you think the Second Amendment gives you the right to bear 
a rocket launcher that could bring down a commercial airplane, or can the state and the federal government uh, constrain your right to carry, to bear, a rocket launcher? I would think it does. And uh, yet a rocket launcher might be appropriate for a militia, a well-regulated militia. In 2022, as distinguished from 1793, a well-regulated militia, and we still have militias, of course, in many states, a well-regulated militia today probably would include uh, rocket launchers and uh, uh, um, other weapons capable of bringing down airplanes. Um, so it's very, very difficult to, to really interpret what the pure intent of the Second Amendment was. And this, you know, gets us back to the whole argument between Scalia on the one hand and and some of the more justices, liberal justices like Breyer on the other hand, uh, is it a living constitution or is it a dead constitution? Um, in this case, Scalia might actually be stuck with a more limited view of the Second Amendment, which he personally didn't have. He might ask the question, what did the framers intend? Uh, what did people in 1793 mean by the right to uh, bear arms? Um, and. Uh, the right to keep and bear arms, uh, did they mean only small arms, uh, the kind of arms that um, were carried and borne um, by uh, the people at the time of the framing of the Second Amendment? And somebody who has a view of the living constitution might actually say, no, 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 you have to interpret it by reference to what is available today. And that argument could cut both ways. You could say if you have a living constitution, that means you can constrain the Second Amendment and uh, say it doesn't apply to weapons that weren't available back in the day, or you can say it covers all weapons. Uh, look, I spent a lot of time as a kid uh, reading the Torah, the Bible, and the Talmud, and I learned that anything can be interpreted in multiple different ways. And uh, I think I became a really good constitutional lawyer because I studied the Talmud and I studied the Torah and I studied the disputations that existed between the rabbis over uh, how you interpret the words of, uh, of the Torah. And um, uh, interpreting the words of the Constitution are not that different, except if you believe that the Torah was written by God. Um, even the strongest advocates of um, the Constitution being the supreme law of the land. Don't think that the Constitution was written by God. It was written by Madison, Hamilton, Jay, and the great, brave, and brilliant people who sat together at the Constitutional Convention and at the various state conventions and who then enacted the Bill of Rights uh, several years after enacting the body of the Constitution itself. It's interesting, the Constitution itself grants very, very few rights and very few protections. It's mostly a structural document about division of authorities, separation of powers, etc. It contains a few rights, uh, the right against bills of attainder, the right against ex post facto laws. Those are written in the Constitution, but it's so interesting because the reason they're in the Constitution is they have a lot to do with the separation of powers. An ex post facto law says the legislature can't convict people and put them in jail, only the judiciary can. And the same thing is true of uh, double jeopardy. That's a restriction on uh, how um, the uh, courts can try and retry and retry over and over again. By the way, the 
double jeopardy clause at the moment does not apply to the states. Um, at the moment, the law seems to be that a state can try you twice for a crime even after you've been acquitted. I don't think the court's going to uphold that if a real case came before it. But um, the Constitution, in one respect, is clearly a living document. In reality, because it changes, it changes with the composition of the courts, it changes with the times. In reality, it does change over time. I think I've used this example before, and I'll use it again because it's a perfect example. When the 14th Amendment um, was adopted, providing for the equal protection of the laws, not a single person who signed on to that amendment would have interpreted it to mean that a black man can marry a white woman or that black children can attend school with white children. That just wasn't on the agenda. Nobody, it occurred to nobody to, to do that. Um, uh, they regarded uh, equal protection of the law basically to mean that everybody has the same rights and separate but equal, which was decided by the Supreme Court uh, in Plessy versus Ferguson some you know, 40 years uh, or 30 years later, probably did reflect the attitudes of, of the times. And, and now in a case, I love, always love the name of this case, Loving versus Virginia, uh, the, the court held, I think unanimously, that the Constitution and the Equal Protection Clause forbids a state from uh, prohibiting uh, marriage between a black man and a white woman, a black woman and a white man. So everybody has to agree that the Constitution is living in some respects. Um, Brown versus Board of Education was not anticipated by the framers of the 14th Amendment, but it was, again, unanimous. It had to be done. You couldn't live in 1954 with segregated schools, and you couldn't live in 1960-something with uh, laws against uh, uh, interracial marriage. It's just... The Constitution has to be kept up with the times in some way. So in that respect, it's living. On the other hand, it's dead when it comes to certain provisions. You have to be 35 to run for president. And uh, there's nothing that you can do about that. If you're 34 years and 11 months, you can't be elected uh, president, no matter how mature you are. Um, lifetime for judges, which is absurd. I don't believe in lifetime appointments for judges. At the time that was put in the Constitution, the average age that a person lived to was less than 50. So if they're appointed at 40, God imposed um, an age restriction or a limitation on how many years you can serve. Um, I don't think anybody at the time of the framing imagined uh, a 42-year-old person serving until 90. Um, lifetime appointments in a democracy uh, should be reserved for popes, kings, queens, uh, and, and, you know, who knows, maybe professors. No, I've retired at 75. Um, but it shouldn't, uh, judges should not be able to serve on the Supreme Court or on any court for uh, 50 years. That would mean we'd lose a lot of great judges. Um, judge Jack Weinstein, who recently died, probably the greatest district court judge in the history of the United States, maybe among the greatest judges in the history of the world, um, served until his 90s, mid-90s, when he uh, finally um, uh, died. Um, and we would have lost him if he could only have served 20 years. He served many, many more years than that. 
uh, Brandeis served for many years, Holmes served for many years, Ruth Bader Ginsburg served for many years, uh, Eichler Career Justice, who served only for three years. He uh, went to the United Nations, Justice Arthur Goldberg. But uh, reading the Constitution is something that um, uh, will always raise questions. It's never going to be a perfect answer to how you read the Constitution, and that's true of the Second Amendment as well. So I hope the New York State Legislature, I hope the California Legislature, I hope other legislatures pass laws restricting gun ownership, gun possession. Ghost guns should not be permitted. Every gun should have to be registered, just like every car has to be registered. People should have to take a test to own a gun, just like you have to take a test to drive a, a car. Um, I, I think that people who uh, are felons who have been convicted of serious crimes shouldn't be allowed to uh, own guns. I think uh, uh, checks before gun ownership are consistent with the Second Amendment. I know there are going to be people out there who strongly object to that, and I expect lots and lots of um, comments and emails, which I welcome and will be happy to uh, talk about. So let's now turn for the remaining few minutes to some of the mail. Uh, the virus wasn't the real problem. The real problem is in the shots. Not for me. I got my shot yesterday. Yesterday I got my second booster. Fortunately, I don't even feel it. I've had no uh, repercussions and, you know, without knocking on wood or doing whatever you do, I, I've not gotten COVID. I don't want to get COVID. I'm 83 years old. I have preconditions, so I've taken all kind of precautions uh, to avoid it. No, the problem isn't the shots. It's COVID. COVID's real. The shots work. They help. And I urge all my viewers, except those who can't, and I have members of my family who can't, um, uh, get the booster shots. Get the shots. Uh, that will not only help you, <clears throat> ultimately, if the vast, vast majority of people are inoculated, it will also reduce the spread of the disease. Uh, we're not yet at herd immunity. Herd immunity is a combination of uh, um, in injections plus people who've gotten uh, a COVID. I hope we, I hope we get, uh, get it soon. Um, let's see what else we have. The first time I've seen your podcast. It was wonderful to take your, see your take on the United Nations, Zelensky, and everything else related. I have also read the crazy accusations people post, and it's deeply disturbing to me. What is true and what is not? Thanks for shining a light on the absurdity of these posts. I'm going to continue to do so, but not, not on a, a daily uh, basis. Also, here's another comment about that. The only topic discussed in your show now is Ukraine. Uh, the professor used to focus on legal issues in the Constitution, but now it's nothing but Ukraine. We have a huge number of domestic problems here in the United States. There are people who want to destroy the Constitution and the traditions on which the nation was founded. While certainly some attention to Ukraine is warranted, the problems here should take precedence. Look, I think we have to balance today. I didn't talk about Ukraine except in answer to this question. Um, and it depends on what the news is. If if it's true, for example, that Russia is using chemical weapons, uh, I'm going to talk about that. That's very important. Uh, and it's legal because it involves uh, war crimes. It does not involve genocide, as I told you, but it involves uh, war crimes. So um, those are the questions. Um, I've been a libertarian for over 30 years. I've subscribed to the main tenets of libertarianism. 
the Non-Aggression Axiom, the Right of Self-Ownership, and Minimum Government Intrusion into the Lives of Citizens, some very prominent libertarians, some of whom I have revered since uh, first embracing libertarian philosophy, have um, <clears throat> uh, supported um, have supported Putin, and that left this writer, um, Jeffersonian, to uh, abandon the libertarian movement. I, I have other friends. My friend Robert Nozick, who is the great philosopher of libertarianism, State, Anarchy, and Utopia, is a classic philosophy book that Bob wrote. He actually gives me credit in the beginning of the book because I went over it with him and we argued about it and everything. He was a libertarian, but he didn't like the libertarian movement. Um, he thought the libertarian movement ended up being a little too selfish, so he became a philosopher of libertarianism but not a member of the libertarian <clears throat> movement. Um, you know, I, for one, I don't generally join movements. It was Eric Hoffer, I've mentioned this before, the great uh, urban philosopher who once said, causes, they start as causes, they then become movements and ultimately rackets. We've seen that. Black Lives Matter started as a cause, it became a movement which had a lot of corruption in it, buying and purchasing of houses. And now I think a lot of Black Lives Matter, the organization, not the concept, has become uh, a racket. And I think that's true of a lot of things that started out as um, a movement. So I've never been part of a movement. I've been part of trying to think for myself about all of these issues. And I hope that uh, my listeners share that view. So. Tomorrow, please tune in tomorrow and watch as I take you on a tour of my office and explain to you all the things that you've been looking at and other things which you uh, haven't been looking at. You might ask me the question, why do I have hanging in my office a picture of one of the most evil men in the history of humankind, Joseph Goebbels, uh, a picture uh, called The Face of Evil by a great photographer named uh, Eisenstadt. And I'll explain why I have that picture hanging in my office next to pictures of some of my heroes, like Albert Einstein and uh, Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Herzl. So I think you're in for a treat when you tour my office tomorrow. Uh, see you then.